You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we're always on storm watch because we love the X-Men Animated Series. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show, especially because this episode has some of our most cancelable content. Please, trans people, don't come after us. Please, <laughs> others, do not kick me out of the state of Florida. Thank you. I proactively I and retroactively denounce. I don't think they can. The hurricane's going to have you on lockdown. <laughs> afterwards, afterwards. We'll get into the hurricane, though. We'll get into the hurricane, though. As you already heard, joining me this trip from Dale's lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, there's. Uh, we're in hurricane-free California right now. Although, uh, we did have a little rain, what was it, a couple weeks ago, the remnants of a hurricane. Uh, so, yeah, let's... Uh, but don't worry, the rain uh, did not change the fact that we still don't have any fresh water here. So, as, as, uh, as I'll, I'll channel my inner, inner uh, Daniel, uh, that we have an ocean of water uh, within uh, a sight distance of my house, but not uh, where still uh, water restrictions are still in place in California. There will always be water restrictions <laughs> in California. And also, I think that's something else we're going to talk about this week. Oh, so we're boy. just hitting... Everything across the board with farce. Let's get into it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. And if we're talking about someone who needs an affirmation and who loves an affirmation, and if we're talking about farce, we have to return to the old farce standard, Kanye West. This oh, past this week, one of my he... favorite segments. Good Kanye, bad Kanye. <laughs> Good Kanye, bad Kanye has made a return. Yes. And we're going to leave this up to you. Although right. I'm not going to leave this up to you. This is bad Kanye. <laughs> oh, spoilers. Come on. This is, this is very bad Kanye. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just like everything in this is just against what I stand for as a teacher. And it's what I hear nowadays. This is more common than people think. So he went on a podcast, uh, Allo Yoga's Allo Mindful podcast, but it's not mindful like M-I-N-D-F-U-L. It's mind space F-U-L-L. Isn't that clever, William? I bet this is a really smart podcast. Yeah, his mind is um, full. So why, why yeah, that means you are, are, are unable to listen to his podcast. Either that or his mind is full, therefore he's having a podcast in order to empty it. That, that's what I'm hoping it means. 
especially with the Aloe Yoga is his name, which I don't believe that's his or her real name. I don't even know who this person is. Uh, so Kanye goes on this podcast, and this is what he said. Reading is like eating Brussels sprouts for me. And talking is like mm. getting the Giorgio Baldi corn ravioli. And apparently elsewhere on the podcast, he reiterated this point and said uh, he's a bigger fan of, quote, good conversation and talking as a way of learning. William, I don't deny that dialectical is important, right? Especially, I mean, we're in a podcast medium, right? Dialect, we learn every week on this podcast. I mean, we end the show with that, right? And the Socratic method is valid. But isn't it absolutely insane and I use that word literally to throw out a completely other mode of learning. I think I think so. And I, like, I'm not one of those people that buy into the oh, I'm an X learner. Uh, I think I think everyone has to integrate the different mediums, especially depending on the thing you're trying to learn. But even in general, I would I would even generalize and say like, it's better to do it all. Like like Justin, I have a question for you. Can you tell if you assign some reading and then the next day have a discussion? How easy is it to tell whether which students have read the thing and which students have it during the discussion? So it's incredibly easy for two reasons. One, uh, the school here has this concept called bell work. I don't know if you did this as a kid. I didn't. But when they come in, I have a question on the board that they have to answer. Um, And two, I don't assign reading because nobody does it. Uh So I have to do all the reading in class nowadays. Because that's what I'm telling you about how common this is. Wow. I have kids tell well, me hold on, hold on. they haven't read any books. Yeah, I, I was about to say, if someone is... I am a very fast reader, but I'm, I'm thinking of like my dad, who's an incredibly slow reader. If, he, he, if you assigned him to read a chapter in, in, like in class, like that would be an impossible task, right? Like it would just be impossible. You want to know the only way I can get them to read in class and to stay on schedule? How is that? We have to take turns reading. And what I do is I have my house ball. Remember a uh, house mm. where he had the giant tennis ball? Yeah. Well, I bought one of those and I throw it to a random kid. And then the kid reads until he or she is. I, I don't know if I should say that on this episode, but until he or she feels like he's done or she's done reading. And then they throw it to another random person. And that's the only way we can stay on pace. And then if we get too far behind pace, you know what I do? I get the ball thrown to me, and I, I read it so we can speed up a little bit. Mm. Wow. That's the only way to get any reading done. Why do you think this is? Like, my, my theory is social media, where you can just click on anything, and you immediately get the illusion of entertainment, and also, you know, go to Google, and you get the illusion of any answer. Reading is an activity that you have to engage with and you have to think about it and have an internal dialectical, right? You have an internal conversation with the book and with yourself. And I think that requires the effort of thinking that most people don't want to do nowadays. What do you think? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, uh, like there's so much reading that I do, like technical reading that I do for work. As far as like pleasurable reading, like actually sitting down and, and reading a physical book, Justin, I honestly, I think that the last time I did that was your book, like reading a physical book that wasn't a technical book, right? Well, you're uh, welcome and thank you. Uh, I do listen to a lot of uh, audiobooks, though. I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. Uh, I guess I'll turn the question on to you. Do you think that it's the same 
listening to an audiobook versus reading? Or I guess that's a, a trick question, but what is the difference um, for you uh, listening to, a, let's say, an audiobook, right, versus actually reading the book? So I will use the example of music to demonstrate my point where I have a different mode of interacting with the song when I hear it versus when I hear it and read the lyrics. So mm. when I'm hearing something for myself personally, I'm processing it more tonally. So it becomes more about what it sounds like, what sort of feeling it's giving me. So an audiobook, and I don't like audiobooks at all for this reason, would be completely dependent upon who the narrator is and how he or she is narrating the book. Mm. Whereas a, a song, right, I can listen to it and go, yeah, that sounds pretty good, but what does it mean? And I don't really process the meaning until I'm looking at the lyrics at the same time. Because I know you said that like all styles of learning are important, and I agree, but I'm more of a experiential learner and more of a visual learner. So it helps to see the words rather than yeah, just hear yeah. them. And it helps to, you know, when I say experiential, the best way to say it is like with wrestling, I was always better with, you could explain a move to me and I could watch it and get it. But unless I did it myself and know how it feels with the weight distribution and everything, I wouldn't really get good at it and know how to do it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So well, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, what about for you, audiobooks? To me, they're not the same. Oh, yeah. I, I actually, for for as long as it's a good narrator, I there are certain stories I love to hear in audio form. Um, now, I, I don't know. There's a difference between... Uh, there's different styles, right? There's just the straight-up narration. And then there's also, sometimes you'll have the, more like a radio play, right? And those can be fun, too, but that's not what I'm talking about in this case. I'm just talking straight-up narration audiobooks. Um, I, I like them, especially for some of the more, uh, sort of tiddlywink fiction books that I like to consume, right? But if I'm going to sit down and, and read, you know, reread, uh, uh, Fountainhead, then it's probably going to be a physical copy. Um, just because one, I don't think there's been a good narration or an excellent narration. I'll just put it that way for, uh, for the Fountainhead, but also to, uh, there are certain, there are certain ways that I read it when I'm reading it physically, that is different than hearing it out loud, right? There's a, there's a, there's different pauses, I guess is the best way to say, or different rhythm of reading it when you're reading it for yourself than there is when someone is literally talking it out. Well, and that, that's, that's what I wonder because there are a lot of kids that I assign to them reading and then they want to listen to the audiobook while they're quote unquote reading. And to me, that seems like being passive, whereas good reading is being active. And that's the same thing I see here with Kanye West and only want to participate yeah, in conversation as a way of learning. Putting myself into college and all the stuff I had to read for learning, whether that was in technical or even in Japanese, um, I, there is no way... I, I could never sell my books back, Dustin. I always bought them used anyways because I couldn't afford them. But uh, because by the time I was done with a textbook, there was writing, my writing everywhere, my uh, mostly illegible writing everywhere. But it was the, the part of engaging with the textbook was me literally interacting with the textbook, writing things in, like listening to, you know, the lecture and like highlighting things and like circling things and drawing pictures and adding, you know, my 
notes or like, I don't think this is right. Like, here's this paper citation for me to look at later, those sort of things. Right. And when it's being read to you, it's sort of like when a professor is doing a lecture. Yeah. It's, it's, it's harder to engage with that actively. I'm not saying it's not possible. I've been to very excellent lectures, and I, I, we know very excellent lecturers. I mean, we had one on last episode, right? I mean, mm-hmm. an, an Andrew Birdstein lecture is really easy to engage with. Yeah, but, but you can't tell me that the, you're not going to get more out of it if you've read his book or, or whatever topic, you know, whatever uh, book he's recommended you to read before the class. You're going to get way more out of that lecture um, just by having engaged in with the material yourself. Like I can imagine, right. I can imagine Justin like trying to read like even something simple like, uh, like uh, you know, uh, there's a, a, a any any Drucker book. Let's say that's a, a famous business author. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't listen to any Drucker audiobook. It's way too dense. Like, and I usually listen to like fiction audiobooks at like one point five x or something. Right? Like I could never do that. I'd have to be pausing and thinking constantly. Right? That rhythm that I'm talking about there, where you hit a concept. In, in in the more dense engaging literature or fi- or nonfiction and you have to stop and think you you know audiobook you just push right past it right and it's the same thing with emotional moments right uh in in, in audiobooks you you know unless you're super disciplined about hitting that pause button um then you're gonna it, i don't know there's a rhythm that is not there is what i'm trying to say right no completely and it, it goes to when i first engaged with anthem i did it as an audiobook the first time i drove across the country and honestly, now I, t- I teach Anthem in speech class because it, it has a long speech in it, right? And I want to teach them how to integrate your life experiences into a theme, into a speech. So I use it. And just little things I didn't notice from listening to it. I mean, the whole concept of uh, equality, not wanting liberty to obey him because he wanted her to freely love him, not love him because it was something she felt obligated to do, because that's not a real love. Like, I didn't pick that up in the audiobook. That's so subtle. But reading it and and seeing it on and written in the text and being able to think about the words and the order they're put in on the page was much easier when I actually mm-hmm. read it versus listen to it. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know what doesn't make sense when we're talking about teaching and learning? Oh, boy. This one high school shop teacher in Ontario, Canada. Now, they don't give this teacher's name, and I don't really think we need the teacher's name. But this is a shop teacher. It's, it's, a, it's a male, right? This teacher is a male, correct, William? Yes. That is their, uh, right. as the uh, UCLA health system wants me to declare, but I have yet to, sex assigned at birth. Yes, the sex assigned at birth is male, yet this teacher is wearing, and there are pictures that I think students put online and videos that students put online, of this teacher wearing uh, large prosthetic breasts. And when let's I say be, large, let's William... Super, let's be super right. uh, um, careful and precise. This person is wearing a sex toy. A very, very comically large set of drooping breasts with giant erect nipples. And I'm not saying this, like, we're going to make fun of this, but we have to get the facts out first. So that way, we're, when we get canceled, I can point out, this is a fact. This is a sex toy that you can buy at the sex shop. Okay, I did not know that this was a sex toy. So I see, I have learned something in this dialectical today. I had no idea. i story because it's, it's so absurd. And uh, they're, you know, forced teaming, right? Apparently... Uh, you know, I've checked my gay privilege, and part of the reason I have to check it is because 
I'm supposed to automatically defend this person because they're part of the LGBTQIA plus LMNOP community. I just, I don't understand, William. I mean, the forced teaming, I hate, and I, I hate it because I don't understand this. And I hate that you're being forced to team with something that I don't understand. Like, I don't even understand well, this, this as a sex toy. To, yeah, well, this is easy to understand as a sex toy. There's, this is a, a common thing we used to be able to talk about. Um, I'm going to say it wrong because I'm not a psychologist, but there, there are certain men who become sexually aroused by being seen as female. It's usually later in life. And... Uh, it's not uncommon. It's known, uh, you know, we could get, uh, uh, Jason Stotts on here to explain it to us. He's a, he's a psychologist that specializes in, in, um, sex and relationships. Um, it, it's a, it's like, it used to be a very common thing we have studied in the literature, but because of the trans movement, it's now been obliterated, you know, just like old, old style transsexuals and, you know, old style drag queens. Uh, those are being solely, uh, forgotten about or, uh, un, unmade, unnamed. So you would differentiate this teacher, this adult male, from other trans people? I don't know that. I don't know that. I I don't know that. I don't. Because of the definitions being so anti-conceptual at this point, I don't know that I could even answer that. But I would say in the 80s and 90s, this would have been, uh, um, I think it's called autogynophilia. This would be, this would be a tranny. Right, someone who would go, they would wear this at the gay bar to be seen as a woman and feel pretty, right? Feel attractive, feel okay. Uh, but that's impulse. that's okay. So this is where my view of things can get us canceled, and this is where my view of things becomes confused because this is what I was saying, like. Regardless of the whole man wearing this, let's 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 posit a woman wearing this. Yeah. Right. I don't even see how this this prosthetic is so large. I don't see how anything about it is sexually appealing because and don't get don't worry, I'm gonna talk about the, the school element of this in a moment. But I don't see how any of this is sexually appealing because they're so large, they're drooping literally down to his pelvis. To yes. his stomach or below it. It's so unrealistic to me, which is, yeah. this is the thing, William. I don't understand about the trans community because I think many of them have a distorted view of gender. And what I mean by that is very few of them actually just want to look like a woman. They always want to look like an hypersexualized, over-feminized one, which is confusing to me as i thought the whole point was to break down gender norms and stereotypes yeah, isn't this guy yeah that contradiction is at the heart of the modern trans movement and it and it's embraced right like that contradiction is almost like the holy sacrament right it's like the holy spirit of of these uh specific we've talking about specific here uh trans ideologues right this is not held by by i would even say most trans folks um well, and that's that's what you're saying. This contradiction is the irony of it all, and yeah. I don't think it's intentional, but intent, but unintentionally, it's getting me to support "quote unquote" normal trans people. And I say "quote yeah. unquote" normal because I don't want to get into a debate about what's normal and what isn't. Yeah. But all I'm yeah. talking about is I understand there are people who legitimately have gender dysphoria, and I feel bad for them that this yeah. dude with this ridiculous prosthetic 
is being linked with them in yeah, the force teaming yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing as the uh, whole, you know, the, the, who is it? Matt Walsh. Is that who it is? That's going around finding all these uh, trans or sorry, all these drag shows for kids uh, stuff. I, I forgot w- which one it was. There's a, some, some conservative out there just like documenting all this and it's just causing people to flip out um, saying he's anti-trans trans, of course. Right. Uh, there's a whole Twitter. There's two Twitter uh, groups that are uh, barely hanging on uh, uh, to their Twitter handles: uh, "Gays Against Groomers" and "Trans Against Groomers," um, because they're uh, you know they're 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 folks that regular trans folks and regular gay folks are trying to say, "Hey, not in my name," and they're actually starting to stand up uh, against some of this stuff. I, it's it's so crazy to me. I I, I want to get into the school side of this because um, yes. it's so crazy to me. They have a dress code. Like, I've, I've been doing the research. I've been digging deep into this story because uh, we we're, were recording a day late, so there's more time for research. Um, well, the hurricane. The hurricane. <laughs> the- and also, Mac Jones's ankle almost got destroyed. So, come on. <laughs> I'm not complaining because uh, I got to go deep. I actually found, Justin, the That's dress what she code. Said. The dress code. And, of course, now I can't find the link exactly. But I'll tell you what I read. Uh, it won't be a verbatim quote. But students are not allowed to show erect nipples. I do remember this. Students are not allowed to show erect nipples. Now, just I don't know if your if your school has a dress code for the teachers, but I imagine it has to be fairly close to the dress code for the students. It, so it may be even at, stricter than the dress code for the students, I would imagine. So, at the risk of my job, um, I have ever never actually seen a dress code for the teachers. Now, I'm not saying there isn't one. There, I'm sure there's a handbook and there is one. But uh, I will say that I have pushed the boundaries of things, not in this way, but like students aren't allowed to wear hats, for instance, right? Because of the possible gang affiliations and things like that. I don't necessarily agree with this rule because if anyone knows me, uh, I love wearing hats and I love wearing backwards hats. So I have a couple like days a week where I'll wear like Patriot stuff or Clemson stuff. And every once in a while, I'll like wear my my fitted Clemson hat backwards all day and teach. And not once has anyone said anything to me, even though I'm against dress code. So teachers have more leeway than students because unfortunately, predictably, the dress code is more about controlling students because the belief is that they have poor judgment with their decisions in general. And also they don't see dress code as a teachable moment. Whereas, yeah, maybe there are the girls who are going to dress inappropriately, but you could use that as a teachable moment to say, you know, should you dress that way in all contexts? Are there contexts where maybe you would dress this way and contexts where you wouldn't rather than engaging in that conversation with them as a rational human being, they just treat them like, you know, prisoners and say, follow this dress code. Whereas with teachers, because we're adults and we're hired, and also I think probably because of the teacher shortage, we have much more leeway. And I think that's sort of playing into what you're observing here. Yeah, maybe. Well, and I'm trying to think back to my childhood. I know it was 100 years ago, Um, you know, and several several, uh, uh, turns of the uh, Overton window uh, uh, back up 180 degrees out of phase. But uh, I remember getting yelled at not in trouble necessarily, but like getting scolded because we were playing soccer outside 
It must have been during like one of our one of our the events like during the school year where we had some um, some different activities that we could go to like maybe homecoming or something. We were playing outside, and it was it was most of us boys from the soccer team, and then some other just random students playing soccer. And then it was time to come in, and we got in trouble because the people who were playing uh, skins and shirts and skins didn't have their shirt on in the hallway, and that was that we were in trouble for that. Like we had to put our shirts. Well, on I definitely. Uh, maybe I'm just old and maybe I become the old guy, but as a coach, I definitely like while you're practicing, if you want to not have a shirt on and even like, you know, girls, if you want to like run outside in sports broads, cause we're in fucking Florida, yeah. dude. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. it's like 90 degrees well, here. I'm the, not going to make the them problem wear a shirt. Not, yeah. To be clear, the problem wasn't that that we were playing shirts and skins. The problem was we were now in the hallway of yes. the school during school day. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I'm even after the school day, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, even in wrestling, like a wrestling tournament, like if you get off the mat and you pull your straps down, like you need to put a shirt on. Like I'm still yeah. that way. Yeah. So I think there is a little bit of teaching appropriateness, but that's the question of this teacher, right? Like I get the leeway with the adults and everything. And I respect but, that. And I, I think I've earned that. Yeah. But well, what about the safety aspect, Justin? Let's say you walked in with right. your, uh, um, uh, uh, 12 foot javelin. Uh, that was uh, attached to your uh, um, uh, belt, and uh, that was part of your uh, dress attire. And I, I'm I'm being facetious here, but I'm not because this is a shop teacher. This is a workshop right. teacher, right? So there's the physical danger of it, but I also want to present to you, William, the concept of mental danger. And what I mean is. I get that adults have been vetted and like I can wear a hat because obviously I'm not part of a gang, right? Like they know who I am. So it fulfills the requirements of the dress code, right? But isn't this guy dressing in this way, demonstrating some sort of mental issue on his part? And I'm not, look, before anyone cancels me and jumps down my throat, I'm not saying like if he wants to, as you said, go to a bar and dress like this, I would, again, perhaps argue there are mental issues there but i'm not discussing that right now i don't want to get into that discussion because that's a much harder discussion this one the fact that this guy feels the need to wear this to school doesn't that demonstrate something we're not talking about college this is high school at least college people would be overage and you could say perhaps he's trying to find any someone he's trying to sexually signal but what is he accomplishing in high school wearing this? Doesn't that demonstrate an incredibly poor lack of judgment that borders on mental illness? Um, I don't know, Justin. I, it it feels really awful to me, right? It feels, uh, in fact, there's a 4chan um, theory that this is all a giant troll. That uh, the, the 4chan theory is that, uh, that this person was uh was getting in trouble for being too or not woke enough so uh he decided to go full woke that's the 4chan theory which is is funny because like all 4chan theories you're not sure if it's satire or real life i mean that would be interesting but of all the people to do that i don't think it will be the shop teacher like dude i'm around people who are like the stereotype of like what you would think and if people did that, like, and they kept accusing him of them of not being woke enough, they just wouldn't respond and keep doing what they were doing until they got fired. And then if they got fired, they'd be like, all right, well, I mean, that's that's them. You get what I'm saying? Because yeah. they even have a picture associated with the school's email address where this guy is in full makeup. Like, he got it professionally done, and he's holding a selfie. So either he got it professionally done for the sake of a selfie, 
or he knows how to do makeup. I don't know. Just it's hard for me to believe this is satire. I want to believe the 4chan (laughs) theory, but it's hard for me to believe this is satire. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe the like the the story has progressed. It's even this this story like people are starting to protest up there in uh, in Canada. So I'll be interested to know for our one Canadian listeners um, in Discord, like, what do you guys think? What is how is this being like? I know I I can only guess what the media coverage is going to be like. That's obviously it's uh, anti-trans bigots are protesting. Um, right. I mean, we've been we've been put in jail yeah. in Canada because of, we're misgendering this person. Yeah, yeah. And it's a deep deep irony considering the next story, Justin. Yeah, the next story, you showed this to me and I was like, "Wow, William, that links perfectly with everything in the previous story because it's it's something that, you know, you've been talking about with force teaming and what I've been saying with you know, the whole trans agenda and the way this is handled where we're really starting to see there there's legitimate issues that need to be discussed and legitimate people to have sympathy and empathy for. And then there's just people who've gone off the complete fucking deep end and we're not allowed to have this conversation to the point that this guy's not allowed to have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who is this guy? This is a Stonewall participant and organizer of the very first gay pride parade. It wasn't even called gay pride back then. Uh, uh, it, it, we'll Where was second. it? Where was the it first was one ever? Uh, it was uh, at Stonewall. At the so the story of Stonewall really briefly is um, there was this say it bar. for us us breeders who don't know anything. Yeah. So there's this bar in New York City where the gays would hang out, and this is in the bad times where uh, being gay would get you arrested. Uh, for doing gay acts would get you arrested, right? And it was a mob bar, and the cops would come occasionally and shake people down, threaten to arrest them, money would have to be exchanged, and then uh, they would be allowed to continue going. Now, this was, of course, not a den of, uh, uh, you know, this was not just a a gay bar. Of course, there was a lot of drugs and the mob stuff, but, like, this is where gays were relatively safe. Uh, There was nowhere else to go, uh, for the most part, to be social. Um... And so uh, one time the cops came, someone uh, stood up to it, there was uh, uh, some scuffles, and a riot broke out. And this is a very, uh, I'm going very high level and skipping through a lot of things. The very next week, they organized a parade um, to challenge this, uh, you know, this hassling by the cops that was constant ongoing and had finally led to some violence, like some serious violence. Um, uh, And uh, one of those guys uh, is this guy, Fred Sargent. Um, he happened to attend this week, the pride parade in, uh, I think it was Burlington, Vermont. Um, I'll have to look. Um, and, uh, and, uh, he was holding two, uh, a sign on, on one side, I believe it said, um, I'll have to pull up the story here. I want to get it exactly right. So he was holding up a sign attending a, a pride parade. Um, he said he had a big no sign and it said blackface woman face in the sign. And he said, gay, not queer, which I want to make a shirt out of, actually, uh, was the other I loved that side. when I read that. Yeah. I was like, that yeah. is like, why I've did we not come up that. with that? Yeah, oh, I've, I've said that, but not so few words. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. It's the yeah. it's the witticism of it, right? The brevity yeah. of it. It's 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 so perfectly encapsulates everything we've been talking about in the last story and this story. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's 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 so here's the crazy thing that happens next. Some blue haired piece of shit comes over and they start messing with him and shouting at him and standing in front of him. Okay, this is all fine. This is stuff that 
you know, for example, uh, gay folks uh, uh, did to uh, to kind of uh, irk the uh, uh, Westboro Baptist Church folks. But then things started to get violent. They assaulted this man in broad daylight in front of hundreds of thousands of people, um, probably several hundred uh, people at that point uh, of the parade. And finally, a bystander comes in and starts uh, defending him. And at some point, they're like, why are you assaulting this man? And like, they were like, he was like a bigot or something like that. And he's like, he's like, you know, Fred Sargent. And this guy didn't even know who that is. And then there's a, a argument for like 30 minutes later that one of the one of the uh, parade, go- uh, parade goers are just like doing a complete reversal, right? Just telling them that, well, this guy shouldn't have been there. Just, you know, victim blaming, saying, well, he obviously wanted to cause a fight. You're here. This is all fake. You guys are just astrophing. You set this up. And the dude's like, I just came here to meet my friend. I didn't even know he had a sign. Like, like we we're just coming to the parade. We're gay people coming to the pride parade. What a reversal, Justin. Someone who 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 was instrumental and in, in you know making this making it okay. And in this case, I don't mean okay to be gay in the sense of like, oh, you need to be gay at work. I mean to even be called gay would could get you fired back then, right? To even to be caught having sex with a man as a man would put you in jail in New York in New York in the sixties, right? This was crazy, right? And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the story. What do you think, Justin? I think what you just said shows what happens when people believe reality isn't fixed. And it leads to this idea that progress is always happening, that you can never stop. And look, I'm not saying you can stop moving, right? Because the opposite of, you know, life is death and the opposite of, I mean, in life is movement and death is is not moving, right? So I'm not saying you can't move, but progress doesn't mean always constantly changing. And it doesn't mean there aren't immutable laws of the universe. And yeah. this concept of reality isn't fixed and the progress is always changing says that, you know, every law is only relevant to its context and time. So even someone like this can be left in the in the in the dust that Fred Sargent can be seen as someone who is now intolerant as and a bigot because no, in his no, time I, he Justin, was not it's worse it's worse than that and i have to point this out this is a person who helped change society so that people who are gay or lesbian don't get assaulted in the streets is now what is it, 1970 to 2022, however many years later, being assaulted in the streets. Right, but you're coming at that, from, and I agree with you. I want to make this clear. I agree with you. I'm just showing the philosophical underpinnings that are leading to this. You're coming yeah. from the fact of, of an objective reality and yeah. that there are laws and rules we can create morally. I'm not even talking about laws in the sense of the government. I'm saying a moral law is we shouldn't beat up other people for things beyond their control that are not harming other people, yeah. right? Because I don't yeah. want to get in the argument that pedophiles can't control their urges, right? Right, you right. Just, right. Let's not get into that argument. But when you're coming from the perspective that everything can change, nothing is set in stone, and progress is constantly changing things, then anyone who is ever... A hero can very obviously and quickly see themselves 
become the villain. And this is why this was the end quote in The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Sorry, The Dark Knight. I apologize. The Dark, yeah. no, the Dark Knight. This is why it was said that, because who was Joker? Joker was the ultimate version of this sort of villain. Justin, I want to want to teach you one more uh, lesson in in uh, your gay history for what for what it's worth. The New I mean, York I, City... look, I'm actually enjoying this because I like this guy. Seems like a good dude, and yeah. it's fucking if you're tragic. Interested, listen to the Disaffe- disaffected podcast. He was interviewed on that uh, soon after this assault, and it's it's amazing to listen to his story. Now, I don't agree with everything he says. Just like everyone on the show, we take you know we take the midside here. Um, but it's he's a fascinating. We don't person take the midside. I want to be clear. The mid side is not something you take. It's a state of mind which allows you right. to see everything for what it actually is. Yeah. And I think his uh, he, he should be lauded for his efforts. That being said, Justin, fun fact, the first, uh, what, what became the Pride March, guess what they called it? This was uh, a, a few months after the, the, the riot. They had it, uh, a parade, and they brought the gay community out in public, at risking getting arrested and all sorts of things. And it was known as the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. That was what it was called originally. Was what, was that the name Day. of a person or was that the yeah. name of a street? The street, the street in uh, I think it's Greenwich Village. I'm not a New York City person. Someone can correct me. Um, was called Christopher Street. Yeah, that's where the, that's oh. where the gays were. So they were trying yeah, to liberate uh, Christopher Street. Well, from and, all and the unjust the, laws and the and the cultural bigotry, right? Right. But here, here's the question that has to be asked, right? This is a question that has to be asked. And this is a difficult question because what this guy did was clearly good, right? Because, as I said, people shouldn't be assaulted for this kind of thing. But what sort of philosophy did he himself embrace yeah. while leading to this liberation or this pride movement? Because we've seen what the pride movement has become. And we've yeah. seen now he has become the target of this movement, which he contributed to. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to put any words into his mouth, but listen to his interview, you can tell that he's he's looking back on some of that stuff with uh, with some with some lessons learned and some 2020 hindsight. Um, you know, because I think he would be the first to tell you that uh, there was a lot of bad choices being made back then. And um, well, right, because when you're outside the norm, there's a very specious argument to be made that relativism is correct because then you can say well i'm outside the norm so all morality all values are relative yeah and that you're you're coming at it backwards then you're you're missing the giant bandwagon fallacy and the bandwagon fallacy was everyone saying oh because everyone's straight we should make it illegal to to be gay right and wanted, look, you again, you don't it's it's the same thing as drugs. I think all drugs should be eat legal. That does not mean I approve of their use. And right. the other people who do drugs would just say to me, hey, it does you it's not up to you to approve what I do or not. And it's not. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna leave the links uh in the show notes so uh of the video, uh YouTube video of the uh, Fred Sergeant being interviewed and also the um the full clip if you want to see the assault. I don't know why you would want to, but you can be as angry as I was watching this. Um, I had I had a couple questions that can't be answered. For example, uh, how would activists today treat Thomas Jefferson if he time traveled to a modern day, like let's say uh, about a protest? Or how about if uh, if Rosa Parks went to a BLM march, would she be assaulted? And I think the answer is actually yes, Justin. Could you imagine Rosa Parks coming with a um, "Treat me by the 
uh, content of my character, not my, not by the color of my skin, uh, shirt in honor of MLK and getting beat down at a BLM protest. Well, the, the whole the they say the whole thing about colorblindness, right? Yeah, which yeah. I actually what, yeah, imagine her holding a sign with a color and a no sign, as in no color, color blindness, right, or something like right. that, some variation of that guy's sign. Do you think she'd be right. beat down at a BLM protest? Yes. For that side. I do too. And I do too. The, the thing is, like, I half agree with them. Like, yeah, you can't ignore color, but there's a difference between, like, hey, there's a black kid in my class and judging the kid by the fact that he's black. You get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what was meant by colorblindness. But they have this idea that MLK's colorblindness meant erasure of them. Right. 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 Erasure of color. And that's the same thing with with Fred Sargent. They're acting like his perspective means erasure of trans people. Where it doesn't, he means let's approach this properly based yeah. on reality. And that way, I know how they would react to Thomas Jefferson. They already do, where yeah. they try to talk about him as a slave owner and a racist, right? And they, they make all these proclamations about, you know, him having slept with his slaves and things like that when they don't even know, like, what percentage black the the woman he slept with actually was. She was very, very... Uh, it was a very, very small percentage of black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also Thomas Jefferson clearly said slavery was a blight on America, but it was another generation's problem to solve because he's like, how much do you fucking want us to do? That's what he basically <laughs> said. But we know how they react. We the, the largest empire in the world. Right. And we couldn't fix this. We left something. We left the homework for you. Right. We, we, we founded the first government based on natural rights and individualism. Uh, maybe you can sort this out for us because it's so deeply ingrained for our culture. But we know how they'd react, right? Because Not in our culture, in the world, Justin. I, I think that's yes. the other thing to point out. In the world. Yes. It was so deeply ingrained in the world. Right. But the point being, when you come from this perspective of constant change and upheaval, your only response to, to people who aren't 100% in line with you and who are from the past is that they're evil and they must be destroyed. Yeah, that's true. And as we always say, it leads to uh, interpersonal hostility. And what's interesting is uh, when you were talking about California and its drought, this perspective of interpersonal hostility, we're actually seeing it now between states and between cities where this crazy story came across, right? Uh, yeah, where <laughs> what the, the Colorado River is, is starting to go dry, right? And they're worried about it running out of water. And, you know, certain cities nearby are considering measures to you know, limit their water use so that the river doesn't go dry. And one of these cities is Phoenix, but the uh, Cynthia Campbell, the water resource management advisor for the city of Phoenix, said that uh, when you compel people to do something, they immediately kind of start to harden up. If we were to compel them to do more right now and not use as much water, what would happen? That water would go to some other user in California, probably. So it's not like it's water that gets saved in Lake Mead and helps the reservoir in any way. And I just thought this was sort of the perfect encapsulation of interpersonal hostility on a sort of state level where mm -hmm. this person knows that with all its talk of with all the talk of people in California about preserve the water and, you know, magnanimity for other human beings, how would they actually act? They would just take it all for themselves because they need to get it before anybody else does.
Yeah, we're trying to fake, just to give people context, I don't know if, if most people know this, California, um, the Central Valley, Napa, all that area, Northern California, mid, mid area of California, is all great, absolutely phenomenal land for farming if you have water. And we've done a lot to bring water into these areas, because otherwise it would sort of a natural desert. Um, but the land is really, really good if you can bring in some water. So instead of doing the smart thing and, you know, building a desalination plant, which, uh, again, channeling uh, 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 mid-sider host emeritus uh, Daniel, uh, build, building a desalination plant next to a nuclear power plant and just constantly just churning out fresh water, uh, we just suck it up. Any drop of water sent down the Colorado River to us, we just uh, consume here in California. And then we try to pretend that the human, like, you know, residential water use is going to make any dent on the industrial and farming water use in California. We try to pretend, we fake out and pretend that um, not watering your lawn is going to somehow save, you know, uh, not watering. How many, how many acres of lawn is there actually in LA County, Justin? I mean, Orange County, it may be more, but uh, here in LA County, how many acres of actual lawn compared to the acres and acres and acres of, uh, of uh, farmland that's getting watered every single day? Up in the Central Valley. Now, this is not to say I'm anti-farmer. I grew up on a farm. I think it's zero. It's, the answer to your question is zero. Just to <laughs> just 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 to uh, drive that point home a little bit. When I moved to Florida and then I went back for a Christmas to spend with my wife's family, I did not realize how much uh, L.A. County in L.A. is just a giant parking lot. It's yep. just you. you it, there's no difference in the way everything looks. You just drive and it's just concrete everywhere yep so we like to pretend that that's not going to happen so what like what what should happen is we should be allowed to build a desalination plant it should be put up right smack there close to the central valley and we should just be pumping it out of the ocean man and uh use the colorado river and all the reservoirs we got some great reservoirs and um in california and all through the water system there but yeah this is it's absolutely crazy that like I've, i looked at i tried to detangle a little bit but it's just so tangled up all these water laws and water rights issues that have been negotiated between the states for like hundreds of years, Justin. It's like crazy how convoluted it is. And they're like, you know, meanwhile, Lake Mead is just kind of drying up. And let's not forget, Justin, that's that that's a significant percentage of the base load for power as well coming out of uh, Lake Mead. So the Hoover Dam, right? So uh, we're also we don't have electricity here in California, too. So we're uh, we're we're going to we're going to water these plants and then run out of electricity. And, and and where the answer is sitting with us all along, it's that nuclear power plant right down here, uh, just a, a couple hours uh, down the road here. You know, crank that on. We should have built that desalination plant that they rejected. Uh, um, what was it a couple months ago? Last year? Man, COVID made time fly. Uh, and and we could have solved this issue, but now, yeah, we, we're seeing the we're going to see the bottom of Lake Mead here soon. Well, and and that's that's my question I have for you about all of this. When you say all of this, William, it sounds like an internal. California problem. But now when we start to see people from other states acknowledging that this drought and mishandling of the situation, the energy situation, the resource situation in California is affecting their states. Isn't that what the federal government was legitimately created for is to deal with issues between states yeah, it was. And but we have another goal, right? We have a different goal than the flourishing of our citizens. It's this uh 
this uh, lets us this wild card, right? It's like holding a wild card in Uno, right? It's, it's the let us do it whenever we want uh, to to pay our cronies called environmentalism that we can just use completely arbitrary measures and and just just kind of play the game, right? Just like right. hand out money, and that's what that's what has been chosen, and that's what's happening. Right. Right. And it's sad because the city could build a desalinization plant. The county could build a desalinization yep. plant. The farmers the, could get together and build a nuclear power plant. Right. right? And and then, yeah, all these things could be done. And the federal government could do one as well. But no one is doing it. Right. No one is. Well, there were people trying to get that desalination plant. And then it gets shut down. Right. Right. Which is even worse that people are working against these things. Yeah. Yep. Meanwhile, and and Justin, like I'm, I'm tired of hearing that we're in a drought. We're in a fucking desert. This should not be unexpected, right? That, yeah. that, that, that's just an excuse. That's just a political excuse. We right. go through these dry and uh, we go between dry and drier in California, naturally, climate wise. So this is right. not. And then we get, you know, once every 30, 50 years, we get torrential rains. Right. And yeah. and that's why there's all these, you know, why the L.A. River looks like a, a cement, uh, 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 trough uh most of your life and then one one of these days you see it full of water and you're like oh they built this because every hundred years there's a ton of rain cool except we had didn't do we didn't do that kind of thinking anymore we can't do that kind of thinking anymore so we can't say oh we live in a desert we should have a desalination plant that way we can provide some percentage of our water always in case due to variable normal variable fluctuations in climate we don't lose our access to fresh water and oh we should make the farmers you know, have access to cheap water through desalination from nuclear energy. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Los Angeles, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, is the L.A. River, which is not a river at all. And, like, they'll, they'll put it in movies, too, and they'll have characters be like, oh, it's happening at the L.A. River. And, you know, everybody else who's watching that movie is expecting a river, and then they go to it, and it's just, like, concrete. And you're like, well, this pretty much sums up Los Angeles. Yeah. You think you're getting something else and it's concrete and you're being lied to and the terms are are, are anti-terms that mean the well, opposite of what you think they mean. Uh, when I, I think it was a long while back when I first moved to L.A. was one of the times where we had like a week of actual legit rain. It wasn't even like it wasn't Florida standard rain. It was, you know, like maybe four or five inches of rain over the course of a day. And then it kind of kept going like an inch or two for the next couple of days. Boy, did that full, fill up. Like, what a feat of engineering, right? Because the water can't go anywhere. This ground is hard as a rock, right? It never gets any rain anyway, so it just runs off everywhere. So what a feat of engineering to keep us from just completely flooding out on the occasions that it does rain here. Yeah. But when you're talking about Florida-style rain, uh, we have to talk about Hurricane Ian and the prep being done for that. And I say this as, uh, I'm not really sure... If this is being handled properly or if people are doing things over the top because of the culture we live in and the post pandemic culture. And what I mean by that is I grew up with hurricanes, right? I grew up in the Northeast and I, you know, I remember times where like the power was knocked out and like we had to go live somewhere else for a week. So I've seen how bad things can get, but you know, we're in the middle of, you know, Orlando's in the middle of Florida. So the odds of it being hit, hard by a hurricane are pretty low but still like my wife and i went to you know sam's club the other day just to get some stuff you know to make sure we're prepared and we already have extra water right because i had told her like just let's always have extra water on hand but 
People were halfway around the store. I'm not even kidding, William. Internal to the store, there was a, a line of carts wrapped halfway around the store of people waiting in line to buy water. And I just don't understand it. Because wow. if this was that much of a risk, wouldn't you already have the water purchased like we already did? And the same thing, right? Like, school is canceled on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for a hurricane that's going to hit on Thursday, supposedly. Now, there are a myriad of reasons that are given, right? This idea that uh, we need to use schools as shelters. And so if one school shut down, every school needs to be shut down to make things equal. And uh, school buses can't be driven if winds are more than 40 miles per hour. All of this is done under the label of an abundance of caution yeah they've already canceled it school that's that's interesting to me because like growing up you know we didn't have well occasionally a hurricane would wander into michigan but we had tornadoes and we had severe thunderstorms in the summer and the fall and and, snowstorms uh, but yeah the winter that's what i was getting to snowstorms i what happened to the days of waking up at 6 a.m and turning on the uh the the uh am talk radio station and listening to see if the schools closed because you know there was a there were some very precise measurements you know uh, normal, yeah. normal Walt, normal Walters, I think was her name, something like that. Normal Hall, that was her name. Normal Hall was the weather person on Channel Twelve, ABC, and Flint. That was the one that she was the determinant, right? Like if there was there was six inches and it was icy, the buses couldn't run. If there was eight inches and no ice, the buses couldn't run. So uh, yeah, like we're always paying attention to that weather hour by hour. Well, yeah, and I had that experience with my students where at the end of the day. They they got on the speaker. They were like, teachers, you need to read your email right now. It's urgent. And then I read it. And it said school was canceled the next three days. So I told my students and they all cheered, which I yeah. get. Like, I remember, like you said, getting up in the morning and wanting a snow day. But what you learn as an adult is that's going to get added on yeah. to later in the year. Yeah. And this is what I don't understand. Under this label of abundance of caution, I'm now going to have to work later on when I didn't have to before, if I could just go to school for the next day or two and maybe take one day off. Well, I can even see, we, I remember growing up too, doing, we, sometimes there would be a thunderstorm coming and they would dismiss us early, right? Like they would be, they would somehow read the tea leaves and they would say, you know what? We don't want kids walking home or, you know, they probably don't do that anymore. Right. No kids walk anymore. Right. Um, No kids walk. uh, That was a joke. Um, oh. either but it's the safety, right? Um, well, I, I mean, we I thought people like you would bus, say it's, right? it's, it's, you know, it's too unsafe for a, them to walk. Yeah. Uh, we don't want them in the bus, like during a tornado, right? Cause you have right. to pull over and let all the kids out and go lay in the ditch, which is not fun during a thunderstorm. Well, the, the problem I think, and I have sympathy for them on this one, and this is where the pandemic vibes come in is that if anything happens at the school, like if some kid posts a threat on social media, and it's not serious, but because, you know, it's social media. It's not like back in the day where it like took effort to like phone in a threat or like write a letter for a threat. Right. People just post dumb shit on social media all the time. But if a parent find it, finds it and it gets reposted, all the parents will drive to school and pick their kids up, which then that becomes Lordy chaos. Lou. Lordy Lou. Right. So I get why they would just say we're just going to send you home and we're not even going to deal with this. But this yeah. makes it so we've now have a system of extreme inefficiency because of the irrationality of our culture, both of people extra panicking and the the legal side of things, 
right? Imagine the litigation if somebody is kept at school and something does happen. So oh, they have to have an worry. abundance the of caution. Schools have immunity. As someone whose uh, uh, baby brother was injured at school, the school has immunity for that sort of shit. Complete negligence? Nope, nope, it's fine. The school has immunity. Okay, well, that makes me feel even worse or even better. I'm not sure how to feel about that. But I think that brings us to the end of this segment. Let's uh, talk about some art briefly because I do have a review, but it's not like it's not even really worth really going into a review. But I'll give you a review. Because it's time for The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. Put me into syndication. Broadcast to a network station. Of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun to better cast the next series of events. In the air timeline laps, my made-for-TV type was written off. In the last season when I wasn't focused on. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. We love to hear from you. We love when you drop content and say, hey, talk about this. It gives us stuff to to talk about, and it makes my life easier when I'm creating the outlines for these shows. So go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and in that episode, there is a join link for our Discord. We look forward to talking to you, to welcoming you to the midside individually for this week's review i'm going to talk about see how they run uh this is the sam rockwell sort of agatha christie style movie that we reviewed on trailer takedown do you remember trailer takedown for this william yeah vaguely i don't remember if i gave it a uh tackle though i'm trying i should really take a take a uh, notes on that because I never remember. I always remember seeing the review, but I never remember what I thought about it. Right. Well, I was kind of lukewarm on this one uh, because uh, stylistically, I, I I thought it looked good, but I was unsure of how it would go. And uh, it turns out my instincts were pretty correct on this. Mm. So here's my one sentence review on Letterboxd on the app Letterboxd. So if you're looking for you know all my reviews and my my um my my yearly list i have here you got to download letterbox to do it i don't know if they have a website but just look for the midside on letterboxd uh so i said see how they runs attempt to add to the genre with a meta approach only results in a narrative and stylistic slog as it literally tells the viewer how it went and when i say literally william i mean literally so the movie opens with a director who's going to turn a whodunit play into a movie saying how he would make the play more interesting if it were a movie, and then that's what happens in the movie. So they literally tell me exactly what's going to happen in the movie, and then it's just, that's what happens in the movie. It was slow, and it was boring. This is... Good. I'm speechless. Basically, how can that be interesting at all? Right. So it's like an attempt to subvert without subverting at all. And that's why I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. All I'm going to say is, look, the performances are good, right? I mean, if you look at the cast, like it's a good cast. They can't really turn in bad performances. And the uh, there's some funny lines. But beyond that, like I was legitimately bored for most of the movie. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to end exactly how it's the guy said it's going to. I mean, he even shows his storyboards at one point in the movie. 
and the storyboards were probably the storyboards from the actual movie. It's bizarre. It's like trying to be smart for smart's sake. You know those kids who would like, when we were growing up, who would be meta to, to prove they were smarter than everyone else? That was what this movie was. Absolutely not. So, this is a no, bro. I won't give it a just no because it's not like super offensive, but like, no, bro, don't don't see this movie. There's no reason to see this movie. All right, now we're going to talk about some movies that are going to come out. Right, we do this every week. It's trailer takedown. Uh, I put the trailers in the Discord before we record, so that's so you can do whatever you want. You know, if you want to listen to the episode and then watch all the trailers, or if you want to watch all the trailers and listen to the episode, or maybe you want to alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. They cloned Tyrone. First of all, that's an excellent name, right? I love the musicality of that name. Is a movie that stars John Boyega from Star Wars and Jamie Foxx. And it's sort of like Resident Evil meets Shaft meets Get Out. And what I mean by that is, like, there's this conspiracy in here, and it, it actually says the line, what if uh, a conspiracy theory wasn't a theory? And I was like, hey, wait, that's what we talk about. Where's the line there? So I like that. But then there's this whole, I say shat because there's this whole, like, black exploitation angle to this, where it's taking the style of those 70 movies, and it seems like they're trying to make some statement about this use of cloning by this futuristic company is how black people are exploited and i don't know i just don't get good vibes from this trailer at all because of it even though i like the sci-fi angle and i like the you know there's a conspiracy behind the scenes pulling the strings i like that angle i just i get too much of a trying to be like get out vibe from this trailer for me to be able to hug it tackle tackle yeah i think uh for me, it it felt it felt like it wasn't going to take its sci-fi element seriously. And, I agree. And so it was hard for me to it was hard for me to get excited about it. It it looked like it was going to be muddled and confused and just an action flick with you know sci-fi a sci-fi skeleton that is not really going to hold it together. That well, that's sort of sense. the sunken place from Get Out. Yeah. Where it was sort of like, oh, we need some sort of explanation as to what's going on. And it's sort of this hokey, ham-fisted explanation that's non-real to yeah. back like up good, what point they're trying to make. It seems like such a good concept, too. So Yes, yeah. and good cast. Yeah. What a, I, it feels like it's going to be a waste. So tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Among the Living is... I don't even know. Like, this is just like a zombie movie. It's like, who thought in the year 2022? It's like, let's make a, a show that's similar, a movie that's similar to The Walking Dead. There, Look, it, this doesn't look like it's poorly shot. It doesn't look like it's poorly acted. It's just, what is this bringing that I would spend my time on this? There, there's literally nothing in here that looks any sort of original or unique. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I... I, I... I struggled to figure out what was the point. What are we trying to do in this movie? And I don't mean that in the like artistic way. I mean, literally, what is the goal for these people? What What is going on? I, I have no idea. Okay, there's zombies, and they're running around, and they can't talk? 
Are they not supposed to? I don't know what they're supposed to do. Tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Strange World is the latest Disney animated film. And if you remember, we talked about this teaser and we were like, hey, what's the story here? And this this finally shows us the story where these people are on a mission. It looks like to the center of the earth or inside the earth because there's some sort of threat to human life inside the earth. And the president comes to the household of a scientist whose father was known for being an explorer. And she asked him to go on the mission, lead the mission. I'm not sure. And it turns out the father is in this strange world. So this is both a story about saving the world, but also dealing with the problems, or perhaps you could use the word trauma left across generations. Uh, This seems sort of like Encanto or Coco with a sort of sci-fi Jules Verne twist. And again, I really, really like the sci-fi B-movie imagery. So I'm really willing to, to give this a chance. Hug. Hug. I've got to put a criticism in here. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. Something is not appealing to me about this visual style. I know it's done very much like like uh, um, the the current sort of uh, Disney digital animation stuff, you know, Big Hero Six sort of style, like that sort of style, right? But this one in particular is off in a way that I can't put my hand uh, put my finger on. It, it's almost like it's too shiny, too the textures are too uh, just solid gradient, right? It's all very bright and candied. Something isn't right about it. There's and I can't quite put my finger on it. All that being said, the animation style aside, it looks like a good story. I'm willing to give it a chance. But Justin, I'm worried that watching this animation is going to just knock me out of it. So I'm going to give it a Netflix and a hug. Netflix and hug. Final trailer. Knock at the Cabin is M. Night Shyamalan's latest movie. And William, when you say the last trailer worries you... This trailer <laughs> worries me. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot I really, really like here, right? This is uh, this is like Signs, where it's about like one family, and it's a world issue, but it's down to how it affects one family. That's what M. Night does so well. And I really like how it's this juxtaposition of people coming in and saying, hey, you have to do this or the world ends. And it, you know, it says make the choice, right? I always say to my students, make the decision. You know, that's slightly different phrasing for different reasons, but that's some of M Knight's best storytelling. It's romantic in that way, where it's focused yeah. on character choice and what the effects are. Uh, the cast is excellent here, right? Dave Batista uh, takes a turn that's very similar to Mark Wahlberg, where it's clear that M Knight likes taking these action heroes like Bruce Willis, Mark Wahlberg. Dave Batista and putting him in these non-action roles or roles that are more psychological or dramatic. And he's doing that again with Batista. But what really worries me here, William, is two things. And it's just like, so this movie I would say is a cross between The Happening and Signs. And with The Happening to this day, I still can't tell if The Happening is meant to make fun of environmentalism or not. Mm. I can't tell if it's for or against environmentalism because he's clearly in the happening trying to do a send up of like 50 B 50s B movies that said like how dangerous nuclear power was. 
right? And they made it this whole genre of like how horrific it was. And he seemed to be doing the same thing with like, oh no, the environment's going to kill us, right? Well, it's the same thing here where there is this lavish greenness, which I don't think is an accident. I, I have to think that this movie has something to do with environmentalism, where on one hand, if he's trying to satirize it, and he's trying to say that all of this hokey, you know, your family is the one who can stop what's going on with environmentalism rhetoric is like this cult, because it's like almost who attacks or who knocks on the cabin, right? Is like this cult. And this is all in the trailer. I'm not spoiling anything. He could very much be satirizing and sending up environmentalism. But with the imagery, I really worry that he is on the side of environmentalism because you could read the happening this way as well. And this could be his new version of the happening. Likewise, in that same vein, William, the fact that this is a gay couple with an adopted Chinese or Asian daughter. I don't know if that's making fun of this kind of casting or if it's trying to play into it. It's hard to say. So I don't know how much of this is being done intentionally or not. That said, it's M. Night and I'm going to give it a chance and I'm going to see it. But there are things here that could go either way because so much trust has been built up with this director. Right. When you look at like a movie of the village, which is clearly making fun of and satirizing uh, elitists in higher education, which how do you not read that as leftist elitists in higher education, right? In, you know, in college, in the university level, you know, people who are talking about, you know, the towns are evil and money is evil, right? And they're violent. I mean, did he not predict interpersonal hostility? Did he not predict the, the current social justice culture we have, with that movie that these people were leading that charge to the fact that they literally went backwards and didn't realize the irony of the resolution of that movie, which we were supposed to realize. So he's shown that we can trust him, but it's really, really hard with this, this trailer still though, because of the amount of trust he's built up with me, I'm going to hug this. Hug. I hear all that, and I, I raise you the last Airbender. I cannot give him. Benevolence. Oh, it's a terrible movie. Terrible. I cannot movie. give him benevolence for that reason. So, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't ideologically <laughs> bad. It was just poorly made. <laughs> but that that uh, with that, see it through that lens. So I, I'm automatically biased against it. This looks interesting. It yeah. looks interesting. That's enough to get me to see. An M Night Shyamalan movie, so I I am gonna give it the benefit of the doubt here, and I'm gonna give it a very very tentative hug. Hug. Now, just well, what before, about what what I said about the main characters? Yeah, you're right. I I, I you know if, if Batista's in, I'm gonna see it. I mean, I, I've watched all of C and I've loved. I don't it. mean I, that, dude. I mean the fact that the protagonists are a, a gay couple with an adopted Asian daughter. <laughs> That's definitely that is definitely has to be satire. That is so stereotyped. Like that is just checkbox. If it's not satire, it's just to get the checkbox to get it out of the way. It's got to be. I. He could fool us all and have it integrated into the story. I don't know. Maybe that, Justin, maybe that's the environmentalist angle. Here's my theory. I'm just coming up off the top of my head. Maybe gay people aren't supposed to have kids because that's anti-environment. 
<laughs> if he did that, his you. career will tank again. Well, no, because at the end, the gay couple wins and they uh, kick off the evil cult that wants to, that are, uh, you know, it's basically the Thanos in reverse, right? And destroy the environment by doing that? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to make this up on the fly. All right. What were you going to say to me? Oh, I was going to say to you, like, I, I have a, since we had a short review this week, I was going to plug, uh, I have a quick review uh, and add to our review section real quick. Um, okay. I, I watched on Netflix, there's a show called Cyberpunk Edge Runners. And it's a pretty standard anime. It's uh, It does have English uh, um, uh, dub, if you want to listen to it in English. Very good voice acting in English and in Japanese. Um, it's set in the cyberpunk universe of the cyberpunk uh, uh, novels. Um, but also, they used all the assets from the Cyberpunk 2077 game that came out, gosh, at the beginning of COVID. And Justin, I, the reason I want to say it is, yes, it's a good story. It's a, definitely a benevolent universe, so you know, make sure you go in uh, not depressed. But uh, it has a very good story. Character choices matter. It's very romantic in that way. Um, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd say it, it'll be. It's a solid, you know, sort of you know four out of five uh, um, sort of show, right? Um, uh, really enjoyable one season self-contained story anyway what was interesting to me justin is they used all the assets from the game and some of the characters from the game they used the same voice actors from the game in the show or at least it sounded like it to me they didn't use the exact same ones they did a very good job so as far as immersive experiences i think this was this is great like i i i went back into the game after watching the the series and some of these places now have extra story elements in my head as I'm playing through the this very sort of story-driven game. And it's really interesting to me that they did this. So that's the reason I want to mention it is not not so much for the for the show, which I think, yeah, you should probably see it. It's pretty good. But this this immersive experience of reusing the assets and telling a great story that's set sort of back a bit from where you're playing in the game. But some of these characters you instead of like ex- exposition or cutscenes telling you the story, you now have both the interactive version and this this self-contained story, which the main characters in, in the in the Netflix series are not characters in the game, but that some of the supporting characters in the Netflix series are sort of your main characters that you interact with uh, as NPCs in the game. And I just thought that was really interesting, and, and thought uh, thought some of our listeners and you would be interested in that. Yeah, I mean the multi-modal and integrated across multiple platforms storytelling is extremely interesting my question is just always the level of investment right i've said this before with video games like with the south park game right i still haven't finished the second game because (laughs) it's hard because they're so in-depth and it's not that i don't admire them and i don't think they're high quality i just wonder you know how much investment they're going to get from people across this and how many people it's going to be truly appreciated by but then again if it's just appreciated by yourself or one person maybe that's all you need well, and I would say that the story on its own, you don't need to know anything about the game. It's very self-contained. Um, right, but it's better if you know about the game. I would say the game is better having now watched this. I think this yeah. is, that's what makes this significant, I think, to me, is that it's sort of the reverse, right? Like, it's yeah. it's you can tell they really put a lot of love into this story and making it a good story. And yeah, it's kind of tropey, but that you know that's only because the cyberpunk, this is telling a little bit, it's telling a different story from the cyberpunk series right like and so this is a, a story that is well known so it's hard to call it trope when it like made the trope i guess um, yeah but but it, it's very faithful to the material maybe even more so than the game but because they've used the assets and everything else it it 
now, like I said, my when I play the game, this is like that those characters and 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 their their backstory is just like right in front of me in my head. So I just thought that was really interesting, and I, that might be this might be a future, right? Like you can imagine, you know, we've we've had terrible, terrible uh, video game adaptations, right? Um, some so bad that they're great, um, but this sort of like using animation and and great storytelling and and applying it to this multimodal sense, it's great to see it actually work. And I think in this case, it actually worked. Well, that's cool. And that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn this time? Go ahead, William. I learned that bad Kanye is still around. And that makes me smile. Justin, what did you learn this week? Uh, I learned a lot of gay history from you. So I I appreciate that because I wouldn't have learned. I I don't even think I would have ever needed to know this much. But hey, I learned it. And, you know, it doesn't make my life worse. So I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking like a crazy person into the corner of my closet. I mean, it still kind of is. There's a hurricane on the horizon. And this is what I'm worried about. That and be back in the closet soon. (laughs) that and going to epcot uh if you want to support the show you can do so by going to the midside.com slash patreon the midside.com slash locals uh patreon is per episode locals is per month there's also the store where you can uh go to the midside.com as a store and pick up any merch the midside.com slash the cut you can buy my book this is all how we keep the lights on and the best way is to tell a friend or as andrew bernstein said last week tell a woman tell a woman about the podcast maybe that'll grow it more This concludes your journey into the Midside. I'm Justin Emozneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have an edge runner day. The sound of the wind.